Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. If you were to rededicate yourself to Jesus Christ in total commitment and spiritual renewal, what would change in your life? How would you be different? I've been thinking about that. Hello, this is Robert J. Morgan. I just returned today, I mean, just like a couple of hours ago from vacation. While at the beach, I didn't do very much except to rest and to relax. That was my plan. I read, I splashed a little bit, I did some walking, but I didn't write anything for books or prepare any sermons, nor did I work on a podcast. And so for this episode, I want to deviate today from our Philippians study that we've been in from week to week and to share with you some things that I sketched out during my morning quiet times of prayer and Bible study while I was away. I've been looking into the book of Deuteronomy, and I've barely gotten out of chapter 1. Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible, was a core book in the Hebrew curriculum. Jesus knew the book of Deuteronomy inside and outside, and so did King David. I believe that many of David's psalms were based on his meditations on verses from the book of Deuteronomy. In one sense, the subject of Deuteronomy has to do with the topic of rededication. When I was growing up, preachers would often ask those who wanted to rededicate their lives to Christ to come forward. And I remember times when I rededicated my life to Christ. I didn't really go forward very much at the uh, end of services because I was shy and introverted, but there have been times when I've rededicated my life to Christ. Well, Deuteronomy has something to say about that. Dr. Peter Craigie, his name is spelled C-R-A-I-G-I-E, has a marvelous commentary on Deuteronomy that I took with me on vacation. And he asserts that the structure of the book of Deuteronomy is based on the form of Hebrew covenant documents, which in turn had their formal antecedents in the political treaties found in the ancient Near East. In other words, In antiquity, people made contracts and nations made treaties just like we do today. They had contracts between individuals and they had treaties between nations. One of those treaties was called a vassal treaty, which was made between a major power and a lesser or vassal power or nation or state. Just as in today's contracts, these treaties tended to follow a certain format. They began with the preamble. Then they had a historical prologue explaining what had led up to the covenant. And then there were general stipulations followed by specific stipulations. And then various deities were called upon to witness the treaty. 
and it ended with a set of blessings and curses, blessings if the parties abided by the treaty and curses if they failed to do so. We have these vassal treaties, copies of them, from antiquity. It's been discovered many different places in many different uh, relationships between nations. Well, Dr. Craigie asserts that this is exactly the form of the book of Deuteronomy. It is, in effect, a renewing or a rededicating of the covenant between God and the Israelites as this younger generation began preparations to enter the promised land. If you'll read it carefully, the book of Deuteronomy begins with the preamble, and then Moses discusses the historical prologue to the book, the things historically that led up to where they were at that moment. And then he went on to state the general stipulations that the people were to keep, the laws they were to obey, and the specific ones. And then he called on Almighty God to be a witness of the covenant, and he ended the book with a series of blessings and cursings, depending upon whether the Israelites obeyed or disobeyed. Dr. Craigie says that the book of Deuteronomy then follows the form of ancient vassal treaties. This is what he said in his introduction of his commentary. Quote, the renewal of the covenant on the plains of Moab is essentially the subject matter of the book of Deuteronomy. He continued, the covenant at Sinai had been sealed after the great victory of God against Egypt in the Exodus, and the covenant now was to be renewed before the entry into the promised land. So here is what I think he is saying. The original covenant between God and Israel was established in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai. It had to do with the Ten Commandments in particular, which are given in Exodus 20 and other stipulations. And then in Exodus 24, Moses and 70 elders came up onto Mount Sinai in order to establish the covenant that God had written on the tablets of stone. And it says in Exodus 24, verse 8, Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so an agreement or a contract or a covenant was made between God and Israel. And verse 9 of Exodus 24 goes on to say, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. In other words, they sat under the throne of God, and it says they ate and they drank, and they were in the presence of the Lord, and that would have been the covenant meal. And so at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with the Israelites. Well, for the next four decades, the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness as we read throughout the books of Leviticus and Numbers. By the time we come to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has now brought the younger generation of Israelites back to the plains of Moab, back to the entrance of the promised land, and he wanted to prepare them to enter it. The older generation by now had passed away and the younger generation was getting ready to seize the land. And so the book of Deuteronomy is the series of messages that Moses gave 
reminding the younger generation of the covenant that God had established with their fathers at Mount Sinai and calling on them to rededicate themselves to it. And the entire book is laid out like an ancient treaty that is being made between a major empire and a vassal state. And it says in Deuteronomy 30, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I have set before you today both life and prosperity, death and destruction. And he challenged them to rededicate themselves to the covenant that God had given them. So the book of Deuteronomy is, in effect, a rededication of the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. Now, later in Joshua chapter 8, when the Israelites made it into the promised land, they gathered together again near Shiloh, and they again rededicated themselves to the Lord. And you can find similar events throughout the history of Israel in the Old Testament. For example, in Second Chronicles chapter 34, King Josiah found the book of the law, probably that's referring to the book of Deuteronomy itself, and he called on all of Israel to come together and to rededicate themselves to that covenant. So rededication is a biblical idea. God expected the people of Israel to renew their dedication to him, which would keep them from drifting away. Well, what about in the New Testament? I'll give you just one example. On the night of the Last Supper, the apostle Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. Later, after the resurrection, Jesus met him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and asked him three times the same question, Peter, do you love me? He gave Peter an opportunity to rededicate his life to the Lord Jesus. Sometimes couples have called me asking if I would help them renew their marriage vows. On most of these occasions, it's because they had a major anniversary. Maybe the couple had been married 10 years or 20 or 25 years or 50 years. They love each other. They want to express their love with renewed dedication, and so they rededicate themselves to one another. I've sometimes found in my own experience that I just need to say, Lord, I rededicate my life to you. I wonder if you've ever felt the same way. It doesn't mean that I have lost my salvation or grown cold in my heart. It simply means that I want to renew in a fresh way my desire to love and to live with and to labor for the Lord. Sometimes I'll do this in a way that is almost, well, casual. During my quiet time, I may find a verse that really speaks to me, and I may say, Lord, I just rededicate myself to you. Or I may sing a song of rededication, such as the great song by Francis Ridley Havergal, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's a song of rededication. At other times, it may be a little bit more of an occasion. I recall 35 years ago, 
I was in Chicago for my 35th birthday. I was attending a conference, and I thought to myself that if I lived to be the biblical threescore and ten, or seventy years old, exactly half my life was over. So I felt that I should rededicate the hypothetical last half of my life to the Lord. It seemed to me that the age of 35 was sort of a pivotal birthday. And so that morning, on my 35th birthday, May 29th, I recall, and I've got it somewhere in my journal entries, I walked down the uh, well, down Michigan Avenue to Grant Park, and I found a quiet space with trees and shrubbery where I could be in private, and I knelt down and rededicated myself to the Lord. And I said something to this effect, Lord, you have given me 35 years, and I maybe have another 35 years ahead of me. I don't know, but I want to rededicate myself and live for you with all of my heart. Well, I remember that very clearly, but now I'm 70, and so what do I do now? I feel that I want to rededicate my commitment to the Lord more than ever, and that's what I've been thinking about for the last several months. And so it's not surprising that all of this was on my mind during vacation and as I studied the book of Deuteronomy, and so I recall walking along the beach last week and saying, Lord, I want all there is of me to belong to all there is of you, so that all there is of you might have full possession and control and empower all there is of me. And really, that is what rededication is. Just saying, dear Lord, I want all there is of me to belong to all there is of you. Now, as I thought through this personally, I chose the word abiding to describe it. This is a word that we find in John chapter 15, where we are told to abide in Christ, and that is to live in unbroken fellowship with him in a way similar to that in which a branch is fully connected to the vine. So in my own notes, and this was just really for my benefit, I took the word abiding as an acronym, and I'll share this with you, but it's not exactly as relevant to you maybe as it would be to me because you must make your own plan of what it means to rededicate your life to Christ, but maybe something here will be of help to you. Well, the A of abiding for me stands for awakening. That's very practical. I mean, I want to wake up every morning of my life and say, good morning, Lord. This is the day you have made. This morning is the next step in the promised land of your will for me. I want to get up and rejoice this day and take possession of what you have for me. Now, along these lines, I found Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 21 to be unusually helpful. That verse says, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. Well, for me, that's like a daily command. Every day is a fresh day in the promised land of God's will for me and for you in this life. We should wake up every morning with enthusiasm. I don't always do that, but I want to. I'd like to get out of bed every morning with a sense of purpose. Now, maybe that means I have to do some deep breathing exercises or some light exercises physically to get going. But, well, I can do that. 
but I'd like to have the attitude that God has planned out a new day for me, and I want to seize upon it without being afraid or discouraged. I want to go in and take possession of it. One of my favorite hymns says, When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. Think of it this way. Our day tends to go the way our morning begins. Our day tends to go the way that our morning begins. Our first moments set the tone for the hours to come. So I want to work harder about getting out of bed enthused and excited about the Lord and His work and His will for me from the very first waking moment. So that's why I chose awakening for A. Now, the B in abiding stands for Bible captivation, biblical immersion and study and memorization. This has been a commitment of mine since I was 19 years old, but I want to rededicate myself to it. There's always more to learn and more to teach. The Bible is as inexhaustible as the universe. It's as fathomless as eternity, and I just want to keep studying it, especially every morning as I begin the day. I want to find fresh things there for my own heart and to share with other people. Now, someone told me last week that he has a much better quiet time in the evening than he ever had when he tried to have his devotions in the mornings. Well, I can certainly appreciate that. In the Hebrew mind, after all, the day began the night before. They would go from sundown to sundown. That would be their 24-hour period because the Jewish people knew that how we end one day has a lot to do with the way we begin the next day. So for him, that's a very good routine. But for me, the morning is best. Now, I am discovering, and this is after being a widower for a couple of years, but I am discovering that I'm at a place in life where I can have some devotional time with the Lord, both at the beginning and at the ending of the day. When you live alone, it gives you some freedom. But nevertheless, my primary quiet time is typically in the morning right after my first cup of coffee. I don't want to get away from that, nor do I want to get away from the practice of biblical memorization. Several evenings in the last two or three months, I've woken up during the night, and I haven't been able to recite some of my favorite Bible passages as easily as I should, and that has bothered me some. For example, I keep getting lost in the middle of Psalm 150, which is a passage that I labored to memorize several years ago. It's not very long. It's a relatively short psalm, and it's repetitious. But in that state, when I'm half awake and half asleep, I want to be able to quote Psalm 150 and other passages as easily as I would quote my own name. But I kept getting lost in the middle of Psalm 150. So, I'm going back and renewing my memorization of that chapter. While I was on vacation, I wrote it down in my little notebook, and I've been working on renewing it on the walls of my memory. So we need to continually rededicate ourselves to the prayer and Bible study times that comes daily with our quiet time, listening to him in his word, talking to him in prayer, not simply as a habit that we follow, but as a relationship that we cultivate. The I 
in the word abiding stands for the ideal day. Now, this idea came to me recently as I was reading an article by C.S. Lewis in which he talked about the importance of having an ideal day. He said, in other words, that, and I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said, if every day could go just as he wanted it to go, what would it look like? He said, well, he would get up at a certain time, have breakfast, have his devotions, read until a certain hour, have a cup of coffee, study until lunch at one o'clock. After lunch, he would take a long walk in the country and think about what he had read and studied, and he would enjoy nature and get some exercise, and then he would come back and write until tea time and after supper. Well, what a perfect time for light reading, and then he'd be off to bed at a particular hour. He said he had established years ago the paradigm of what his ideal day would be like. Now, he admitted that his days seldom go exactly like that, but by having his ideal day in his mind, it helped as he planned every day as it came. Well, this is about having a routine, a daily routine. Some years ago, I read a book about the rituals and the routines of effective people. We all need to establish in our minds what an ideal day is and seek as much as possible to conform every day to that ideal. And so I'm not going to go into it now, but I framed out for me at this point in my life what an ideal day would be like. So one of my commitments in my rededication of Christ is to try to replicate that as much as possible in order to live a disciplined life and use my time wisely and direct my schedule in a way that God would be maximized and pleased with. Psalm 90 tells us to number our days, and Ephesians 5 tells us to redeem the time. Well, that leads us to the letter D and the word abiding. And for me, that stands for discipline in both exercise and diet. Discipline and diet. Uh, I've just got to continue at this age that I'm at to get some exercise every day. It's funny to me that in earlier years, when I was even busier, when I had younger children, a demanding church, I somehow found time almost every day or at least several days a week to go running. And I loved running, and I would run one or two or three miles a day or sometimes more. My knees no longer allow for that, but I do have exercise equipment and an elliptical machine. Inside of the house, I have sidewalks outside of the house. So why is it now so hard to get exercise and to maintain one's diet and one's weight? The Bible says our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, part of the discipline of discipleship is the care and feeding of this human body that I have, which is getting older by the day. Getting reasonable exercise, I think, is suggested in First. Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said to Timothy that physical exercise is of some benefit. Godly, godliness, getting exercise into godliness, uh, or the exercise of godliness, is even more beneficial. But getting physical exercise at any age, as much as we can without hurting ourselves, is of some benefit. And so part of my rededication to Christ has to do with physical discipline. Now, the next I in abiding, A-B-I-D-I-N-G, 
is, well, it stands for Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. The Lord gave me those verses as I thought about all of these things. I've been thinking about it for several months. And these verses, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, helped me. They persuaded me in making the recent decisions that I've made about my role at church. These verses say, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I will make for you a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I cannot tell you how important those verses have been to me. The Lord just gave them to me, but maybe you need them as well, so let me repeat them. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I will make for you a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. We are to anticipate more than we reflect. We are to look through the windshield more than through the rearview mirror. We are to plan for the future more than we ruminate about the past. And it's because of this verse, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. I found it much easier to let go of grievances, to release bitterness, to unlatch myself from unhappy memories. And in adopting these verses, we're also adopting the attitude of Philippians 3, which talks about forgetting what is behind and straining towards what lies ahead. Well, that brings us in the word abiding to the letter N, which for me stands for next generation. Psalm 71 says, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. To me, this means a couple of things. I want to speak to as many young audiences as I can and frame my ministry so that it reaches as many young people as possible. But secondly, it means that I want to spend quality time with my grandchildren so that I'm able to exhibit Christ with them and perhaps in His will, according to His pleasure, to play whatever role God wants me to have in their spiritual formation. We need to be concentrating our energies on the next generation. And that brings me to the last letter in the word abiding, and that's the word gift or gifting. I want to rededicate myself to use whatever gift God has given me for his purpose and glory, and I hope that you want to do the same. I've taken 1 Timothy 14 and 15, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, as very personal words from the Lord to me. Now, Paul wrote these words to Timothy, but I believe that I can claim them as words the Lord has from him to me. They say, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift. You know, the Lord may have more for us to do when we're younger, than when we are older. But I believe that he wants to use us in greater ways when we are older than when we were younger. He gives us increasing grace, and every day with Jesus is better than the one before. 
So that's my own personal plan at this point in my life. But my real message is that we need to keep on rededicating ourselves to Christ at whatever age we are. As the Israelites renewed the covenant over and over, so we need to rededicate ourselves to Jesus and to say in the words of the great hymn, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay. So today, why don't you say, Lord, I want all there is of me to belong to all there is of you so that all there is of you might fully possess and empower all there is of me. Well, thank you for following along with me on this vacation edition of my podcast. It is produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing firm Clearly Media. This podcast is recorded and edited by Jared Brummett, and print editing and blog posting is done by Luke Tyler. Please share this podcast with your friends. Check out all of our resources at my website, robertjmorgan.com, and join me again next week. May the Lord be with you until we meet again.